Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm ever yours, Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show, we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And, of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right. The Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you. And by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right. Please, 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 please get out of the thought control business. Our topics du jour, as you may have heard. Multiple rulings go against the First Amendment rights of teachers voicing objections to woke policies in their respective school districts who were, by the way, then harshly fined for even daring to challenge those policies. I guess this ensures higher federal court involvement. What's next on that? Also, why, for the sake of tolerance for the 1% who are transgender, have we become intolerant of the 99% who object to the many disconnected agendas pushed by the left in their name? What's up with this? Also, former Obama staffer turned whistleblower Mike McCormick worked with then-Vice President Joe Biden from 2011 to 2017, and he's now calling Biden out for leading a kickback scheme and then lying about it. So how soon before McCormick testifies to Congress? He's already volunteered to testify before the grand jury going on in Delaware that's investigating Hunter Biden's activities. But the FBI, for some reason, doesn't want to bring him on board. Why is that? Why is that? Got some great guests in front of us. Got Paul Bradley, COO and co-founder of Hedge. It's a wholesale uh, engine for blue-chip crypto on and off ramp automation. He's going to be talking to us about woke companies being intolerant of the 99% who are not trans for the sake of the 1% who are. Also, we got Jessica Jackson coming on board, civil rights attorney. Uh, She's on board talking about Democrat and Biden uh, Biden voters, uh, also uh, opposing uh, Biden DOJ re-prosecuting someone who received the sentence uh, commutation from Trump. This is very, very strange stuff. We'll get into that. Also, we've got former Congressman uh, Tim Holskamp. Uh, he's coming on. Holskamp, I should say. Uh, he's a Republican out of the great state of Kansas. And um, there's just so much into which we must get. But let's dive right into what I earlier referenced here, because there's a myriad of bad faith arguments being put forward by the left all in the name of serving the transgender community. But um, some are really more egregious than others. For instance, am I off the mark for saying we can be pro-transgender community while still perhaps recognizing the inherently unfair physical advantage that transgender females have over naturally born females in competitive sports? I mean, we can be supportive of the transgender community and still recognize that's the physiological reality of that, right? I mean, you've got transgender females who are still walking around with male genitalia, uh, 
bobbing up and down locker rooms with the women, making them feel uncomfortable. Um, and are we really surprised that they're 99 times out of 100 going to just completely seize the day in all competitive sports? Whether it's swimming or gymnastics or whatever it is, they're always having this upper hand. And we're just ignoring it. And when people point that out, they're slammed for being intolerant of the transgender community. When in fact, it looks like women are being marginalized by proxy. In the name of not marginalizing the transgender community, we're happy to go ahead and marginalize naturally born uh, women. Now, transgender men are women who identify as men. Transgender women are those who were born men but now identify as women. Trust me, you will find that there is a disproportionate greater number of transgender females competing in female sports than there are transgender males competing in male sports. That's just the reality. Gee, I wonder why that is. I wonder why that is. Because transgender males, who are those who were women who wish to identify as men, or just do identify as men, are going to have a double whammy. They're going to have a real rough time competing against actual naturally born men. But now, with transgender women, who are naturally born men, competing against naturally born women, I mean, the upper hand is empirically verifiable. And yet, for some reason, when women who are in competitive sports point out this inherent disadvantage, they're ostracized. They're just ostracized. So that's why I'm asking, isn't it fair to say that we can indeed be pro-transgender community but still acknowledge the inherently unfair physical advantage that transgender females have over naturally born females in competitive sports? I mean, would it be accurate to observe that relabeling this grotesque unfairness as a civil right has really become nothing more than a, a camouflage campaign Fooling nobody with an IQ over rice pudding. Who's really fooled by this stuff? <clears throat> Come on now. Let's all grow up a little bit. Please. You know, I was reading a story not long ago in uh, Just the News, written by Greg Piper. The headline is, Blaming the Victim. Judges scold teachers for challenging gender identity and anti-racism policies. The judge basically is saying whether the, their disruption was caused by uh, the educators or those offended by their advocacy is a distinction without a difference. Of course, the free speech groups are calling the ruling disappointing, but this is a head-scratcher because the Supreme Court precedent says they can't rule this way, but they're doing so nonetheless. Look, in two separate cases, educators challenging K-12 woke policies involving Gender protocols and academic indoctrination were financially punished by judges for voicing their First Amendment rights to object. That's basically it. I mean, I'm summing it up pretty well there. But I'll tell you what. Let me share a couple of excerpts <clears throat> Excuse me, from uh, Greg Piper's uh, piece on this. Oregon's Grant Pass School District. Oregon's Grant Pass School District prevailed over a lawsuit by science teacher Katie Medard and former assistant principal Rachel Sager, who alleged that they were unconstitutionally disciplined for activism as private citizens against proposals to grant restroom and locker room access based on gender identity and force employees to use preferred pronouns. U.S. Magistrate Judge Mark Clark granted summary judgment, quote, with prejudice, meaning the case can't be filed again. End of excerpt. Now, folks, <clears throat> excuse me, fortunately, Judge Clark cannot stop them from appealing. But, but that aside, this really does fly in the face of a case known as Pickering v. Board of Education, 1968. And this is a case where the Supreme Court found that teachers do not lose their First Amendment rights to address issues of public importance just because they work for the government. I mean, how does this asinine ruling survive subsequent appellate review? Now, there are going to be some lefties out there saying, oh, well, then why do you support DeSantis saying that they can't teach critical race theory? Because 
With a DeSantis example, you're talking about teachers who want to indoctrinate kids. They're talking right to the kids. They're grooming the kids. They're pushing a propaganda against the kids. These teachers were speaking out to the public, sharing their angst with the public and the school board. They're not indoctrinating anybody. They're just sharing through their First Amendment rights concerns they have over these woke protocols. Now, there's a hell of a lot more into which we're going to get. Trust me, folks. We're going to be back real soon to do just that. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Stick with us. This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Fibronir program. To learn more about Fibronir and eligibility requirements, visit fibronir-ipf.longboat.com and fibronir-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math that aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time Ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at PVA.org. 
Look, this is awful news. Let's be very clear about that. LGBTQI plus kids are resilient. They are fierce. They fight back. They're not going anywhere. And we have their back. This administration has their back. Now, that might be all very well and fine, but why bring that up after the terror attack inflicted in Nashville? A trans person, apparently a trans male, a a woman who identifies as a male, slaughters kids at a religious school in Nashville, and the response that we're getting from Corrine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, is to defend LGBTQ kids. Well, they're not the ones who are, who are harmed. What, what, is, what is wrong with her prioritizing? If those were the kids who were the victims, fine, do so. If you also want to, on another issue in the abstract, defend those kids, that's fine as well. Nobody should be marginalized. But for you to start defending the LGBTQ community who nobody, whom nobody's attacking, but you're only doing so because the attacker happens to be a trans male or had been a trans male, is astonishingly disconnected from reality. There is zero connection between this dumbass's assertion and it's required foundational merits. How can she tether her assertions to any measurable standard of accountability and dialogue and debate vis-a-vis that? Listen to what the schmuck says one more time. Clip one, James, if you please. Look, this is awful news. Let's be very clear about that. LGBTQI plus kids are resilient. They are fierce. They fight back. They're not going anywhere, and we have their back. This administration has their back. So fine, you have their back, but their back has F all to do with the tragedy and focus. The only connection is with the perpetrator. So, Corinne Jean-Pierre, are you out of your ever-loving bloody mind? I mean, this woman has this cerebral dexterity of a fudge cake. Is she out of her head? Oh, my God. Anyway, without further ado, we have assisting in the opining and analyzing Paul Bradley, COO and co-founder of Hedge. It's a wholesale engine for blue chip crypto on and off uh, ramp automation. Talking about woke companies being intolerant of the 99% who aren't trans for the sake of the 1% who are. Uh, It does seem that we're getting preoccupied. One of our topics today is why, for the sake of tolerance for the 1% who are transgender, have we become intolerant to the 99% who object to the many disconnected agendas pushed by the left in their name? Paul, thanks for joining us again. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Am I too strident in all that I've said thus far, or what? Uh, I... (laughs) To say it out loud, maybe, but for us to all be thinking it, I don't think so. Uh, there are too many examples just in the last year, year and a half alone, where the proposals of investment in my company alone required stipulations that I had to have gay and transgender board members. I, and, you know, we walked away from so much money, but they, that's where the issue is. They, they follow the money, and this is the message at the end of the rainbow. But, you know, I, I, there's just so many bad faith arguments being put forward by the left of, in, in the name of serving the transgender community. I mean, am I off the mark for saying we can be pro-transgender while still recognizing, for instance, the inherently unfair physical advantage that transgender females have over naturally born <laughs> females in competitive sports? I mean, am I, am I off the bar? I am very pro-transgender community, very much so. But as a matter of science, I can still recognize the inherent unfairness that exists by having transgender females who are, are those who were born male but identify as females. It seems that as a matter of science, you can see the inherent unfairness that exists between having transgender females compete with naturally born females in competitive sports. I mean, have you ever noticed... 
how few examples there are of transgender males competing in male sports, that is to say women or those who are born <laughs> as females but identify as males entering competitive sports against other naturally born males. I mean, I, I don't know that there's any at all. If they exist, they're probably <clears throat> so parsimonious in their existence, they, they haven't registered on any radar whatsoever. But you do have an ever-growing number of cases wherein transgender Females, those who were born as men but identify as women, transgender females competing in female sports. Is there anything wrong or snarky in my pointing out the inherent unfairness of that construct and how marginalizing it is to naturally born women in competitive sports? I ask you, sir. Well, I would, I'm still waiting for the first transgender NFL, NFL player, so that would be on merit. I hadn't seen that yet. That young lady hadn't stepped to the plate. But what I'm surprised, the most surprised at, is male or female contact sports where a trans person gets in there and competes and there's physical contact. I, I cannot believe the amount of women that support that and say that's equal and the contestants who get out there. That's, it is troubling, and, and it's all in the name of inclusion but there's nothing common sense about any of it. But if, in the name of inclusion, you wind up excluding those who have the temerity to voice a concern about the inherent iniquity of, of such a, an arrangement, uh, there doesn't really seem to be much inclusivity at all. I mean, this whole, you know, we have uh, DEI, uh, diversity, uh, equity and inclusion, then you've got ESG, environment, social, and governance, and then you've got CRT, critical race theory. These all seem to be uh, terms that camouflage their own direct antithesis. You know? <laughs> it's Because like, critical race theory seems to embody the very racism uh, it's uh, you know, ostensibly fighting. Uh, then, of course, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion – I like Ron DeSantis' approach. He, he wants to replace it with uh, equality, uh, meritocracy, and colorblindness. Uh, I'll tell you, the latter seems a lot more socially progressive than DEI, or am I over seeing too much into this, I ask you? No, I mean, it, it, it makes sense to me. I was in the military. I'm a veteran. That's the way they approach Holy, it. You were in the military? Yes. I, as, and, as, and was, so as was back, I. What was your branch? I was in the Army uh, Desert Storm era. I was in the Navy, but I'll still talk to you. Um, <laughs> ah, no, that's okay. You've got thank you. Thank you for your service. Playing, I'm sure. Thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you for your service as well. So uh, uh, anyway, I before you, I so rudely I interrupted, you were saying. I, I see where a lot of the money influences people. So the money is flowing from Washington from their, their imbalance and overflow and people are jumping on on the money and doing the dance and it's so out of sync i mean there's no contextual proportionality with their game plan again it does seem as if we're, we're jumping through hoops for one percent of the population at the exclusion of the other 99 percent. and if you bring it up you're somehow not inclusive when in fact as a matter of language unless language is no longer tethered to the meanings of the words that comprise it those who engage in that practice are actually the ones who don't seem to be very inclusive at all. Thanks again for joining us. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day, and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. 
Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca-Cola. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left-right, black-white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Um, we're covering a number of things here, but I want to detour a little bit because uh, I came across a piece here by old friend of the show. we got to get him back on. He's former acting attorney general. Uh, he was so during the Trump administration, Matthew Whitaker. Uh, he wrote a piece with uh, David uh, Safavian uh, of Fox News. Uh, it was a piece given to Fox News. They published it. The headline is, Biden's Justice Department changes presidential pardons for the worse. The Biden administration has been working overtime to erase Donald Trump's legacy and now wants to nullify a clemency decision. Uh, it points out how it's no surprise that, you know, the, the Biden administration wants to reverse a lot of things Trump did. Co- elections have consequences. Uh, but the Biden team now 
has taken their crusade to erase Trump's legacy to absurd lengths, going so far as to nullify one of Trump's clemency decisions. Uh, nowhere do presidents have more authority than when granting pardons and commuting prison sentences. Presidents turn to the clemency process to right a, a prosecutorial wrong, as President Trump did in the case of Phyllis, I should say Philip uh, S. Forms. Um, now the Department of Justice is trying to undo his clemency. Uh, S. Forms, it might be pronounced S. Forme, I apologize, uh, was indicted on 32 counts related to his health care business. During the trial, a magistrate judge strongly criticized the prosecutor's unethical moves to uncover and utilize information that was clearly covered by the attorney-client privilege. Um, with the advantage of, I'm sorry, it goes on to say, it's easy to win a criminal case when you know the other side's strategy, and that is exactly what happened, pointing out that the Justice Department blatantly broke the rules and then tried to cover it up. The magistrate characterized the prosecutor's conduct as deplorable. Shockingly, the magistrate's findings were ignored by the trial judge. Well, I'm not going to go on anymore with this because I have a guest who can assist me uh, in a far more erudite fashion. Uh, and that guest is Jessica Jackson, civil rights attorney. And she's with us right now. Jessica, thanks for being on board with us again. How are you today? Sorry, Do we have Jessica? Jessica, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, again, I should point out Jessica is a civil rights attorney. Uh, she's also a Democrat and somebody who voted for Biden, but uh, she does have, take issue, take exception uh, with Biden's um, Department of Justice re-prosecuting uh, this person. Um, uh, Jessica, how viable do you think uh, the DOJ's chances are in reversing a pardon of, uh, of a former president? I'm at a loss here. Yeah, I, this is absolutely unconstitutional, and it's completely unprecedented. No DOJ has ever done this before. The president's power to commute and pardon sentences is absolute, according to our Constitution. So this is a gross deviation from any president's, and it's a huge violation of Mr. Esformis's civil rights. Um, this is a man who was charged with 33 counts, the jury hung on some of those counts. He was acquitted of the most serious counts, and he was convicted of the least serious account counts. He was convicted of a total of $186,000 in damages, but the judge then used the acquitted and hung conduct to sentence him to 20 years in prison and to take $43 million in assets away from him. $186,000 thousand dollars is what the jury said that he was responsible for one hundred eighty six thousand dollars and they then took forty three million dollars in four and a half years of this man's life he lived in it's mostly solitary because he was targeted inside of the prison he lost 90 pounds while he was in there uh, lived in disgusting conditions served four and a half years which is longer than he should have served just for the counts that he was convicted of he comes home because, thank God, President Trump gave him a pardon, I mean, a commutation. He comes home, starts to rebuild his life, and then suddenly Biden says, nope, we're going to re-prosecute you on those hung, hung counts and try and put you back inside. It's let me just ask you unbelievable. This. Let, let me ask you this. If memory serves, the Constitution is the people's written directive to the very government it created, not the other way around. And, and really, Absolutely. not one of these branches has the right to thwart the mandates of the very document from which their powers are derived and to which they're each subordinate. And it would seem to me then that the degree to which any of these branches or components under any of these branches uh, dismisses that Constitution is really the degree to which they're marginalized their own authority. They're marginalizing their own authority uh, from that same document. It, am I wrong in the way I'm characterizing this, that that any time uh, legislative action or executive action conflicts with the Constitution, the Constitution trumps those acts each and every time? Yes or no? Absolutely. And this is a clear violation of the Constitution. Not only is it a violation of the president's right to commute sentences, but it's also a double jeopardy issue. The judge sentenced him using the conduct that he is now being retried for. 
he was given a commutation of that sentence. It's clear as day that what they are doing is unconstitutional. So how viable will this be going up the ladder? I mean, I understand that if now is this going to be first heard in a D.C. court wherein essentially all the FBI or the DOJ has to say is or make clear is that, hey, this guy is is uh, not a Democrat. So uh, once that's done, you know, the, the story's pretty well been written. Now, I'm kind of be I'm mindful of the Michael Sussman trial, former lead counsel for the Hillary mm. Clinton campaign on his jury. Uh, you know, you had uh, three Hillary Clinton donors, one uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez donor, uh, and hell, another donor uh, had a daughter who played on the same sports team as the defendant's daughter. Okay, so I mean, you had so many instances of an unacceptable jury, uh, but it was all okay because it happened in D.C. It does seem to be a, a rather biased jury pool. Is that what they're counting on in this instance? You know, so this is a case out of South Florida, but it is a federal case. So they're flying down, you know, their white-collar folks from the Department of Justice uh, down there to try him. And and I think what their strategy is is to smear his name as much as they can in the media. They are trying to point to the fact that, you know, he had, he was a wealthier business owner. He had built an entire business, right? They're pointing to the fact that he has connections to the Trump administration. They're flat out lying, um, and, and those connections just being the commutation that he got from President Trump. Uh, they're flat out lying and saying that he committed $1.3 billion in, in health care fraud. That's Jessica, not let me what ask the you jury this. found. It, it, I'm just looking at the clock here, so excuse me. It, it strikes me that they're obviously going to lose. This can't survive uh, appellate review, but it, it, it appears as if they're they're just taking a shot for for the purposes that you referenced, just to smear him, just to cause other problems, uh, as a way to I don't know maybe send a message to others for having dared to ever supported Trump or or any candidate perhaps that they don't approve of. Uh, this seems to be an intimidation yeah. game, even though they know. Uh, it's not going to pass muster in appellate review. That's okay for them. It seems that that's not really their goal. Their goal is to just use the system to humiliate and intimidate. It strikes me that subsequent administrations and subsequent DOJ and FBI hierarchies can get away with this for as long as they're not ever having to face consequences beyond failure to pull off what they're trying to do. If they're never having to face consequences beyond that, well, then doesn't that just reinforce this kind of behavior to be replicated in the future? Yeah, I mean, that's the fear is that this is going to set a horrible precedence. And even when Mr. Esformas prevails, and I truly believe he will, because I don't think this country is going to let the DOJ erode the Constitution on such an important issue. But even when he prevails, think about the psychological damage that him and his entire family will have endured, the oh, pain horrific. that they will have endured it's going horrific, through but another let me ask trial. You this. It's just terrifying. It's, it is absolutely horrific, empirically verifiably so. It's hideous. It's cataclysmic. I can't even begin to imagine the kind of horrors that he and his family have been to, to which they've been subjected. That said, though, it strikes me that there's a crime fraud exception to everything. Uh, you might recall years ago. Uh, the IRS got in the trouble for targeting conservative groups disproportionately for imagined mm -hmm. uh, tax fraud. Turns out the IRS was held accountable in the abstract anyway. They were taken to court, and they had to you know, shell out a bunch of money. Um, is it possible that this gentleman could seek legal redress in a similar fashion and sue the living daylights out of the DOJ? I mean... I think at this point, what we're hoping is possible is that the DOJ just leaves him alone and lets him continue to give back to his community, continue to be with his family, continue to practice his religion, and, and live. Let him what live his life without What do you think can be them. done to disincentivize future DOJ hierarchies from replicating this kind of egregious conduct? I think we have to raise awareness of what's happening to Mr. Esformas and let the government know that we are not okay with them politicizing the DOJ and using it as a weapon against anybody. I think also what has to happen is eventual legislation that starts holding individuals uh, pulling this kind of crap under the trappings of officialdom. 
far more accountable. They need to face possible jail time themselves. Stick with us. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager, JumpCloud's Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices. And cloud-based options aren't ideal either. JumpCloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end-to-end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud-based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy... It's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all gotta help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're gonna be saving our lives. 
To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Every year is Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. I want to get into a couple of other things. also want to touch on very briefly what I've been teasing you through the hour, through the hour, uh, throughout the hour, and I just can't get to it as much as I want. We'll be doing so in the following hour. But uh, former Obama staffer turned whistleblower Mike McCormick worked with then-Vice President Joe Biden from 2011 to 2017. Well, guess what? He's now calling Biden out for leading a kickback scheme and then lying about it. Uh, You have to wonder how soon before McCormick uh, testifies to Congress. Uh, He was recently on Fox News, uh, had a few things to share. Uh, More specifically, he was on uh, Fox News' Fox and Friends first with uh, Todd Pirro and Ashley uh, Strawmeyer. And um, uh, host Todd uh, clears up some dates, getting people on board, offering a bit of exposition, if you will, and then he goes right to Mr. McCormick for his comment on, on what he witnessed and what he's been trying to uh, bring to light. Uh, again, this is somebody who is an, a former Obama official and also worked with Joe Biden. Uh, clip four, James, if you please. Hunter joins the Burisma board April 18th, 2014. You have that conversation with Jake Sullivan April 21st, 2014, uh, outlining how the U.S. would help Ukraine's gas industry with Joe Biden's help. Hunter's role not made public till May 12th, 2014. And then in December of that year, Congress approves $50 million to support Ukraine's energy sector. Mike, my biggest question is you said the FBI has been ignoring you. It's, it's no secret right now that people don't have a lot of faith in the FBI. Would you tell them and would they say back to you? I came across this story back in October. I published it in my Substack. My Substack is Midnight in the Laptop of Good and Evil. I didn't hear much about it. In February, I went to the FBI and filed one of their tips on their website. If you do that and you're lying to them, you go to jail. I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth, and I'm not going to jail. Joe Biden is a criminal. He was conducting malfeasance in office to enrich his family. Jake Sullivan is a conspirator in that. And there's more uh, there's more Obama officials involved in it, I believe. A lot of shenanigans going on in Washington. Also, uh, shenanigans uh, going on in Washington uh, can be seen born out of um, the management of our public dollars. Um, and our next guest is to uh, offer some assistance in that regard uh, because he has some rather erudite observations himself. Um, he says that tax day is looming, but it doesn't seem that Americans are really getting much of a return on their investment from the federal government. Kurt Couchman's on board, senior fellow in fiscal policy at Americans for Prosperity. He pre- previously served with the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Uh, good to have you on board, Kurt. How are you today? It's great to be back, uh, Alan. How are you doing? I'm hanging in. I, I, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I'm always a little bit upset whenever we get into issues about taxation it drives me nuts that, uh, you know, just because government overspends doesn't mean we're undertaxed, but they don't seem to get mm-hmm. the disconnect. Um, John F. Kennedy understood that, uh, you know, lowering tax rates actually increases tax revenues and go would really go a long way to help us both acquire extra revenue while lowering both our yearly deficit and overall national debt. Again, as long as we could keep the additional spending from outpacing those increasing revenues. Uh, This was recommended by our 35th president, John F. Kennedy. You remember that, I'm sure. Not that you were around (laughs) as an adult at the time, but I'm sure from a historical perspective, you remember that. But it does seem as if uh, we're always encountering the law of diminishing returns whenever it comes to how our leaders go about taxing us. Um, What do you think are some of the more egregious examples that we're up against today? Yeah, I mean, it's tax day coming up right here, uh, and uh, it's true. We're not getting a great return on investment. The thing is, it's all about the spending. The spending is where government does things. Spending is ultimately the measure of taxation because you're either taxing people now, you're taxing people in the future with uh, the debt that has to be paid back eventually, or you're taxing them in a sneaky way through inflation. And all three of those things are happening right now. Um, But the fact that they can just sort of pretend like they're not uh, you know, imposing as much of a burden on people makes it easier for them to spend, spend, spend. Um, and, you know, it's given us the highest inflation we've had in two generations recently. So 
I mean, if you break it down, uh, just based on a per capita basis, like there's 333 million people in the country, the federal government is taxing more than $14,000 per person. For a family of five, that's $72,000 per year. The spending is almost $19,000 per person. So for a family of five, the federal government is spending more than $93,000 this year. And of that, almost $2,000 per person is just to pay the interest on the borrowing that's already happened. So that's almost $10,000 for a family of five. It's just astonishing. It's just just astonishing. And and, and it strikes me that there are some remedies. Uh, I I mean, one thing that would help us out a lot is if we stop losing cash through redundant spending. I mean, every single year, as you know, the government accounting office reports that we're misplacing about – $350 $350 billion a year through redundant spending, and mm-hmm. it's thanks to approximately 580 duplicative programs managed by about 180 government agencies. I mean, we could actually stop these duplicative, uh, duplicative programs immediately, and guess what? We wouldn't hurt anybody. And the reason we wouldn't mm-hmm. hurt anybody is because they're all duplicated. I mean, regardless of party affiliation, I... I don't see how anybody can justify this stupidity when both sides of the aisle could actually benefit from the stoppage of this hemorrhaging practice. I, I, I mean, this would give us back about $3.5 trillion a decade all by itself. Now, again, it's not a panacea for everything, but pick out any one of our, our massive spending programs, and, and one of them could be helped a lot. Medicare. Medicare could be sure. rescued just by... The, the stoppage of this redundant spending, or am I seeing too much into this? I ask you. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have a lot of problems that are created by the federal government. The U.S. has the highest health care costs in the world, and that's due to bad federal policies and, and the lack of functioning markets. I mean, it, kind of zooming, zooming out a little bit, the federal government is incredibly expensive. It's way out of its lane. Building anything takes, uh, takes forever. It costs a lot to get through all the red tape, and especially for reliable energy sources. But then there's all these special interest tax breaks, loans and insurance programs. Just two days ago, the Wall Street Journal uh, reported on these uh, green energy subsidies the Democrats passed in the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. The original estimate was $271 billion, and now they're like, eh, actually, it's going to be three times that. Good. That's a lot of money. But how I mean, is if you that look at covered by education, law? The law itself doesn't cover that, so I don't know how they can actually have any source of revenue from which they can write checks. I mean, I know to a degree it's all faith in the government money, so to an extent we're printing as we're going along, and it's all backed backed up by the faith of the government. But these green energy ideas seem to be more about green naivete than it is about green energy. I mean, especially when you look how silly it is. They they want to expand our our purchase of electric vehicles by saying we're going to put up tens of thousands of more electric power stations. But the vast majority of all of our electricity comes from fossil fuels anyway. Isn't that fair to say? That's right. And if we want to get a better ROI from our federal government, we've got to fix the broken system. Because right now, no matter which party makes policy, the slide keeps continuing. So we've got to fix the system. Oh, really? They're both horrifically guilty of the same criminal behavior, maybe one more than the other. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703 Three seven one nine zero four three three, or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.